0: Father, we do thank you and praise you for your word. Um, Father, we come before you today, Lord, asking that you would um, speak to us through your scriptures, that your spirit would guide us. Lord, we pray that as we look at Psalm 95, um, you would help us to be a a thankful people, a people filled with joy and praise to you. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would guide us today as we worship you through the studying of your word. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. Psalm 95. O come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods, in whose hand are, are the depths of the earth. The peaks of the mountains are also his. The sea is his, for it was he who made it, and his hand formed the dry land. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as at Meribah, as in the day of Massah in the wilderness. When your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they had not Though they had seen my work for 40 years, I loathed that generation and said they are people who err in their heart and they do not know my ways. Therefore, I swore in my anger, truly, they shall not enter into my rest. And Father, we do thank you for your word. Lord, we ask that you would uh, continue to guide us this day, Lord, speak to us through your word, uh, encourage us, Lord, this day. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we, we're, we have been taking a—we're in the third of four weeks' detour from the Gospel of Matthew, sort of focusing on uh, the importance of thankfulness from the Scriptures. Uh, I just read 1 Thessalonians 5.18, which has sort of been my theme verse, uh, where it says, "...in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you." In Christ Jesus. The scripture makes it clear that those who know God, uh, his will for us is that we would be a thankful people. Uh, Thankfulness, or from thankfulness, I believe, uh, flows praise, gratitude, worship. Um, When we understand who God is, who we are in relationship to God, what he's done for us in Christ, uh, we really should be thankful in all things um, what he says. Uh, Psalm 95 is one of these psalms uh that as i've been studying thankfulness i've i've sort of been i find myself gravitating towards the psalms and when we studied psalm 100 a few weeks ago uh, in my preparation i learned that psalm 100 is really connected to psalm 95 now, psalm 95 is sort of uh this the beginning psalm of these six psalms that sort of lead into that psalm of, of thankfulness um uh, so w- when I studied Psalm 100, I'm like, ah, I want to do Psalm 95, and we'll do it in a couple weeks. And so I've been studying this psalm, and, and I don't know if you noticed, uh, but as we read this psalm, there's a clear distinction between the first half and the second half. And to be honest with you, I've I've, I've sort of struggled with the second half. How I, I want to focus on thankfulness, and yet the second half of this psalm, uh, starting midway through s- verse 7, It shifts that there's this stern warning. There's this praise God. However, if you don't, there's some concerns. And I didn't know how to handle this. I wasn't sure how I would um, deal with this in the light of the greater uh, theme of of thankfulness. And then this week, Friday, obviously, we've we've all, I could tell in the announcements that... um, that Friday, when France suffered a series of attacks, um, there there is a, a, a heaviness um, that that swept across my heart and, and many people um, that I know. And you know, I think that we could we could gather in this room where this is a small group of people. Um, I think that everybody here understands that there is like a, a significant problem. I think that we could all agree with that. Um, But if we start talking about how do we solve the problem, I think that even in a group this size, we could have a huge argument over how to solve it. Um, And so as I looked at this passage, the second half, I want to start with the second half, uh, deal with the things that are in there. And at the end of the second half, before I go into the first half, I really want to um, to, to pause for a, a number of minutes um, I, I would like us as a, as a congregation um, to, to really seek the Lord in prayer that we would uh, praise as a community. Church is really um, supposed to be an interactive um, sort of event. Um, it's a time of worship. I, I know that for me many years before I was a Christian at going to church, I thought it was like a duty that I would just suck up the hour and then I would move on with my life and, and, and I would leave. But as I've become a Christian, um, that, that the whole engagement, this, the worship through singing that we're participating, that we're singing to the Lord, uh, as as the, the the teaching is happening of the Word of God, that that we in the seats are are supposed to be engaged with the text and and responding and communicating with God. Jesus, when he came on scene to the temple, he flipped over tables, saying, "You know, my, my house. This is supposed to be a house of prayer." Um, and so, I want us to to, to really take some time. Uh, to to pray about uh, our world the the events in france the 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 people who were hurt that we as a church would would really bow down before the lord and and seek him Uh, i know that he calls us to pray to him uh, to to ask him for help i know that he is greater than uh, the situation that's happening in europe right now and so we as a church will do that um and then after that, then we'll go in and we'll look at the the, the first seven verses, sort of dealing with thankfulness. Um, so midway through verse seven, <clears throat> the first seven verses deal with uh, the command to, to worship God with um, joyful singing, shouting to Him, with uh, coming before Him with thanksgiving joyfully singing to him with psalms of thanksgiving, um, focusing on the greatness of God. Uh, He looks at what he's created, that all things are in his hands, um, resulting in bowing down, worshiping him, uh, acknowledging that, that we are his sheep, that he is our God, that there's this relationship. And that's the cliff notes for the first part. And then from that, the psalmist gives us this warning. Midway through, it says, Today, if you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as in the day of Massah in the wilderness. When your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they had seen my work. Now, I'm not going to go into a great... um, Discussion for time's sake of of these two locations, this uh, Meribah, which means strife, masah which means um, testing, that the author here is referring back to the time of the forty years when the people of Israel uh, wandered through the wilderness. It was a time that marked that they were being punished. They were known as the people who grumbled against the Lord. Um, the the two passages that most people Uh, link uh, this part of psalm 95 to our uh, exodus 17 um, basically the first seven verses there uh, when the people are grumbling to moses about water Um, we see that in numbers chapter 20 verse 13 this is the sort of the situation the people of israel are grumbling before god they're testing god Um, and the psalmist writes and he says uh, our forefathers did this there in these locations um, Paul would write in First Corinthians chapter ten. It's fascinating to me the first thirteen verses of First Corinthians chapter ten um, deal with the, the beginning parts deal with uh, the wandering in the desert, the, the rebellion of, of his people, his ancestors. And then in verse eleven, he says this in First Corinthians chapter ten, verse eleven, he says, Now these things happened to them. He's talking about the wanderings, the grumblings, the things that they went through. And when Paul reflects on those incidences, he says that it happened to them as an example and they were written for our instruction. And so Paul says, when I look back to that time of our nation, uh, during the grumbling, during the time of wandering, um, I I believe, he says, that this was written for our instruction that we could learn from their example that we wouldn't do that. Um, It's fascinating that this all from this comes to some well-known verses that we know. In verse 12, it says, No, um, therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. No temptation is overtaken you, but such is common to man. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will able to endure it. And so with that, sort of uh, kind of coming back here to Psalm 95, um, the psalmist, I think, is writing with the same heart that we need to look back, that they need to look back to the, the previous generations and where they had failed and where they'd hardened their hearts and how um, th- that had sort of steered them uh, off course. And the psalmist writes here today, if you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And I love the, like, this today, that the, the Bible throughout its writings, there's the 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 presumption that's assumed, it's explained, it's taught, that God is active, he's real, he's engaging with us, he is declaring to you and to me about himself. And then there's this idea of responding in the now, not in the after you're married, after you finish college, uh, when when you're retired, um, there's this today respond to God, um, if you would hear his voice, and, he, and he, I think, how, how's God speaking today? Uh, Romans one twenty shares with us the idea that creation is declaring that God is. In Romans one twenty, look at what Paul writes. He says, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. Psalm 19 speaks of the same sort of um, general revelation that every human being, as they step outside, they can see the trees, they can see the plants, they can see uh, the soil, uh, various creatures. They can look up into the stars and see the sun and the moon. Uh, the, the, the details, the beauty, that it just declares that there was a creator that, that put all of these things in motion. Now, I don't think that creation is enough revelation to lead a person to salvation. But the scripture makes it clear that that creation itself is enough to condemn a person, meaning that as a person looks out and sees the world around them, that for them to reject God based on the evidence all around them, that's enough to condemn them. But I believe that if a person looks out around him and says, "Hey, you know what? This this just didn't happen. That this well, this has to be a creator behind this." Well, then that's specific revelation. I believe if a person's heart is right before God, then God will give them specific revelation. Uh, Hebrews chapter one, the very how Hebrews opens up. The the author of Hebrews writes, God. After he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions, and many ways in these last days, he has spoken to us and his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world. So he, he, he points that all of creation leads to Christ. And so when I read this verse today in Psalm 95, today if you would hear his voice, I believe that this is the picture that God is, that he is our creator, that he's made a way of salvation through Christ Jesus. Um, that as we hear the message, we wouldn't harden our hearts uh, to his voice. And then the example that as they wandered in the wilderness, they continued uh, to test and to try their creator. Um, n- notice what it says, that they continued to test and to try me, even though they had seen my work, they had seen the evidence of what God had done. These are the Jewish people who had walked with God, had the stories about how God had protected them, yet still they tried and tested him. Never a good thing. And I don't get the image that this trying and testing is the same sort of trying and testing uh, that, that Gideon comes to my mind. He had a decision. He didn't know what to do. So he said, well, I'm going to I'm gonna I'm gonna present this, uh, and and if God responds one way, I'll know. Or maybe I'm mixing up my stories. That's Elijah, I think, right, with the fleece. Oh, Gideon, I got it right. Ah, I get all confused with names, even people I know. I got it right. Wow. Oh. Gideon lays out his fleece. But he wasn't testing God in the sense of like, oh, I'm gonna. I saw God, and I need this. It was. I think that there's this testing in a, in a sincere way. Lord, I'm trying to make this decision. I need help with guidance. Would you please show me what you want from me? That's testing, seeking God in a different way. That's not the testing. This, this testing that he's speaking of here is a grumbling against God, a rebelling against God, even though they had seen his work. God says here, for 40 years, I loathe that generation I don't know how many times God has used that phrase, I loathe that generation, but I don't think it's a good thing. Um, I wonder, in reading this psalm and studying this psalm over the last few weeks, how is God uh, reacting to our generation? Like, are we a generation, are we a people around the world that God loathes? I don't know. But we see their their grumbling, their ingratitude, their lack of thankfulness to God, and it caused this... um, this anger welling within God. And he said, they are people who err in their heart and they do not know my way. So twice in this passage, up in verse eight, there's, there's the command, do not harden your hearts. And here he says, there are people who err in their heart. And the heart seems to be the, 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 the battleground that God is fighting over. Um, as we... <clears throat> Look out at the world as we look at our, at our own community. We look at evil and injustice and, and things that just aren't right. Um, we see the outward focus, but throughout the scriptures, we see that the problem is rooted in the sin of the heart, and it manifests itself in all of these things that we see. And so we see here that God is battling for the condition of their heart. He's battling for the condition of your heart. I would suggest that even in Christ, He's battling for the condition of your heart. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that you don't have a hardened heart. Uh, coming to Valley Baptist Church and seeing a number of, you know, heart surgeries and heart condition and elderly people, I've learned that a lot of times that when a doctor looks at a a heart, there'll be you have seventy percent of your heart is good, but there's thirty percent that's dying or has not uh, is not doing well, and we're concerned about that part. And I think it, it for. For me, as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, I don't want to just excuse passages of the Bible. So when I come to this, I'm I'm convicted. Lord, examine my whole heart. Are there areas of it that I've hardened to you? Have they erred in their heart? They do not know my ways. It says, therefore, I swore in my anger. Truly, they shall not enter into my rest. This is a stern, stern warning. And I really... Was struggling with like, oh man, I'm really trying to focus on thankfulness. Like when I stumbled across Psalm 95, I think I just like skimmed the first few verses. I'm like, oh, that's a great psalm. We'll study that one. And then when I start looking at the whole of it, it's like, oh, how do we deal with this? And I was stu- I was still struggling with this by like Thursday, Friday. And then I'm out in town, and I hear this whole what happened in France, and my. This this mixed reaction. Um, I, I'm not I'm not at all saying I'm perfect. I've never admit I've never claimed to be perfect amongst you all of you like or to anyone. With my background and my wiring, you know, first when I'm confronted with evil, there's something. Some would say it depends on who I ask. They say, oh, well, it's perfectly healthy, perfectly you're wired perfectly right. There are others who say you're just broken in the head. But but when I see evil, there's something within me. It's like like when I see what happens in France, I wish I was 20 years younger and I could be with my boys and I could go there and, de- and execute some justice on those who are doing evil and harming people. And I'm just like just rotten on the, like not, I don't say rotten, but just within me, just unsettled this week, seeing what's happening. And then I'm studying this. How does this fit together? And then my heart begins to break for all of those that are involved. And as the story is is unraveling and i this phrase they do uh, who err in their heart and they do not know my ways and as i 'm meditating and pondering this, hearing reports of 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 terrorists who are shooting down on hundreds of people screaming Allah Akbar I mean God is great and, and to me it's like how does someone do that in the name of God and it 's like, well, clearly they don't know God and the problem is a heart condition. And and so today, what I want to do is I I I really want us to come together uh, to to pray. Um, I know that God has instructed His people to pray. He's called us to pray. He's He's given us this this truly this gift that we uh, can seek Him, that we can communicate with Him, that He hears our prayers, that He Response to our prayers in the midst of his sovereignty. Don't ask me to explain. I'm, I have no idea how God works in many ways. I know that as we pray, the thing that gives me comfort is that the Bible makes it, Romans 8 says that as I pray, even if my prayers are messed up, the spirit will interpret them so they come out correctly. And so what I wanted to do is to take some time now to really, as a church, to, to pray Uh, For the state of the world, for the victims in France, for the world leaders, for our leaders, uh, for us as a people, for our missionaries, to to really take time to pray. Uh, The opening cry of Habakkuk, Lord, where he calls out to you and you answer, Lord, come to my mind. and Father, there he cries out, how long, O Lord, will I call for help? And will you not hear? I cry out to you violence, yet you do not save. Why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contention arises. Therefore, the law is ignored, and justice is never upheld. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, justice comes out perverted. And you answered him and you said, look amongst the nations, observe, be astonished, wonder. Because I am doing something in your days you would not believe if you were told. And so, Father, I, I believe that many of us feel as Habakkuk, Lord, that as we look around, as we call out. Uh, Lord, at times it's difficult to see your hand. And how you're moving. Uh, there's violence and strife and fear, concerns for our children and our children's children. And, and Lord, we look to you and we cry out. We see the problem. We know it's you only that can help. And Lord, as you told Habakkuk that you were moving that you were doing something in their midst uh, that he wouldn't even believe uh, that you told him and as you told him it really came as a huge shock how you were moving and so father we turn to you now we uh, we trust that you are moving that you're not asleep at the wheel and father we pray um, specifically for france uh, their nation Lord, I pray for their leaders. I pray for their military, their law enforcement, their first responders. Uh, Father, we thank you that in every society there are these men and women who uh, stand watch uh, to provide safety, Lord, for those um, who could be victims to, to evildoers. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help these people to be alert, Lord, that they would be strong. Lord, we pray for the first responders, military around the world and our nation. Lord, and we just give you thanks for them. We thank you that you instituted these authorities. Uh, In Romans 13, we're told that you created them to restrain evil. And so, Father, we pray that you would help them to do their job, that you would help them to maintain peace. And, Lord, we turn our attention to the families uh, around the world, but I know it's not limited to France, um, to the family members who received word that they lost a loved one in these attacks. Um, we pray for them. Lord, we ask that you would comfort them only as you can comfort them. We pray for the many victims who are still in the hospital, who are clinging for life, Lord, that you would preserve their life. Father, I pray for the many who were uh, witnesses to these events, Lord, in the um, the trauma that they were exposed to and the great damage that that can do to an individual. We pray, Father, that you would uh, bring healing and peace to those people who are um, just wrought with terror and fear as a result of uh, what they experienced. And Father, I want to lift up to you the many uh, workers, Lord, the missionaries, uh, pastors. I know Europe is a is really a continent, Lord, where uh, there are very few um, Christians as a whole. I know that there are many workers, Lord. We support a number of them that have slaved away for many, many years trying to bring the gospel back to Europe. And Lord, in the midst of this great crisis, we pray that uh, the hope that the gospel brings would uh, reach out to many people there and bring comfort. Lord, we desire safety and security, but as we study Psalm 95 and throughout the scriptures, Lord, it's the ultimate problem is a problem of the heart. And so, Father, we pray that you would uh, heal the hearts of the victims. We pray for the hearts of those um, who are not walking with you. Uh, We pray for... um, the perpetuators of of terrorism, those who seek to do harm to innocence. Father, we trust that Christ died for them as well. We thank you for your great patience, Lord, that you desire them to come to salvation as well. And so, Lord, we know that you are able to move, you're able to uh, to, to move in the hearts of, of men and women. And so, Father, we pray that you would intervene here, we pray for our nation, for uh, the leaders of our world, and, and it's easy to be a, a an, arm, uh, an armchair quarterback or whatever the saying is, Lord, and, and to, 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 to make quick um, opinions and solutions over how to solve this. But, Lord, the the reality is I give you thanks that I'm not in this sort of position to uh, to make these decisions, for it is a weighty thing. Um and so we pray um, for these world leaders, Lord, that you would give them wisdom, whether they know you or not, Lord, that they would know how to, uh, to intervene. We pray uh, for so much of the world who is so um, just heavy and beaten up from many, many years of war. Uh, Lord, we ask that you would uh, turn us as a people in this world, Lord, towards you. Heal our hearts, Lord. Help us to walk humbly before you. Father, I thank you for this great gift of prayer that you have uh, called us into relationship with you. Lord, I pray that you would help us uh, to be a praying people, um, that we would turn to you uh, for comfort, for peace, for hope, for security. We pray that you would help us to be a loving people, that we would radiate your joy, We thank you, Lord, ultimately uh, for the violence that was brought upon Christ because of my sin. Lord, that you suffered um, a brutal, brutal death because of my sin so that I could have this relationship with you. And we collectively thank you, Lord, for saving us. We thank you, Lord, for leading us to Christ. We thank you, Lord, uh, for being so good to us we pray this in Christ's good name amen so back to psalm 95 <clears throat> the midway through verse 7 there's this the warning today if you would hear his voice do not harden your hearts he gives the examples he gives the reasons and ultimately shows how eventually God's patience will wear out and a day of judgment will come. But leading up to that, and really in the beginning of that, there's this call that, that, that what God desires is for mankind, for us to come to him, to, um, to, to bow down, to worship him. And going back to verse 1, I'm going to look at these seven verses, and really it's going to lead us in uh, to singing our last song. It's to prepare our hearts to worship him. And he says, oh, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. And so twice there's this picture of of shouting and singing. um, But the key word there is joy and joyfully. That the condition of our hearts, that we are filled with joy. Um, And as we come to the Lord, the reason that we're filled with joy, the whole the rock of salvation. If God did nothing else for us other than sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross to make a payment for our sin, that we could have a relationship with him, that we could have peace with him. That's all we need. We don't need anything else to be filled with joy. In Christ, he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And the psalmist is reminded to come sing joyfully. I love this. I've already established many, many times, and just about every every week, that I am not a singer, that I have no uh, ability or aptitude, really, to sing. Um, but the contingent is that I I don't sing well. It's that I sing joyfully, and if I sing joyfully, that's really all that matters. And so, um, as I've come in my re- into my relationship with Christ, um, this idea of uh, of singing joyfully has been a a wonderful experience for me. Who who doesn't sing? This this week, um, as I've been reflecting on this psalm, see, there's a, on one hand, they're singing joyfully. On the other hand, there's, do not harden your heart. Um, I find I've been listening to more worship music, uh, sort of accidentally, because for all the little service announcement here, is Caleb moved from 100.1 to 102.1. And, I can actually hear Caleb now. So I find in my car that I'm singing worship songs as I'm driving. I know that there's other stuff like Pandora and various things. I could, I could It's just so much easier if I just turn on the car and there's worship music there. Um, and as I've been examining my heart, trying to keep it soft, how do I uh, allow my heart not to get hardened? So uh, Friday happened. I watch a lot of the news. I'm listening to talk radio. I'm you know, listening to everything. And then I get into my car and I hear worship. And which one do you think hardened my heart? Which one do you think softened my heart? So I think that there's something about worship, singing, that this is a tool that God gives us because as we worship, as we sing, uh, it so easily translates into praying and communion with God. And as we commune with him, our hearts are soft. And he says, Let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully. There that word joyfully is again. To him with psalms. But that word psalms, it literally could be translated psalms or songs of thanksgiving. And so the verse one is this shout joyfully, shout with joy. The second verse goes into shouting joyfully with him with psalms of thanksgiving. That thanksgiving, I believe, is the sort of the bedrock from which praise flows. And God calls us to be a thanksgiving people, to give him thanks, to praise him. And why would we do this? Now, verse three and four, the psalmist turns to the greatness, the majesty of God. He says, for the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods, in whose hand are the depths of the earth. The peaks of his mountains are also his; the sea is his, for it was he who made it, and his hands formed the dry land. I, I love this. This is a. There's a fancy word that I forgot that isn't important, but it's a word that describes. Ben will probably get it to me here in a second. Like you can shout it out whenever. See, I don't think that God necessarily like has hands, but the psalmist says he writes what. Are, Okay, but it's a fancy word that we learned in seminary that we filed away somewhere really safe. And it's this picture that the psalmist, since we are human, since we have hands, in in order to help us understand how great God is, he takes, the psalmist takes this picture of something that we know, our hand. I can fit about 10 marbles into my hand, maybe. I don't know. I don't have any marbles on hand. So, but I can't hold that much in my hand. If I wanted to try to hold the world in my hand, the best I could do was to try to do a one-handed handstand, which I wouldn't be very successful for very long because then I think I could have the whole world in my hand. But that's not what he's talking about. He's saying God is so great that in his hand, look what he says, the depths of the earth. So he's going to the very core of the universe or the very core of the earth and he says the peaks of the mountains are also his. So we go to the very highest, the very tip of Mount Everest. And the sea is his, for it was he who made it, and his hands formed the dry land. The, the earth is so huge. Like anytime you have a, an opportunity to travel internationally, like my, my philosophy is just take it, go do it. To hop in an airplane to travel halfway around the world, uh, whether it's Israel or France or uh, the, the Middle East, to get in an airplane and to be flying at like 700 miles an hour for 12 hours, and you're not even you're not even barely breaking the circumference of of, of the Earth. The majesty of God is overwhelming. But then when we go to uh, the people who look at the stars, I'm blanking on their names, scientists, astronomers. And then they start looking at the various stars and other uh, stars and other things. Well, you know, stuff that's out there. Uh, the earth begins to look like like a pinprick, almost not even visible. And the psalmist says that God holds it in his hand, that he spoke it into existence. And did we come to to, to verse six after hearing the majesty, the greatness, the awesomeness of who God is? Come, let us worship and bow down like to fall before the Lord, prostrate that we're humbling ourselves before him. He's our creator. We are the created. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And this is a beautiful picture. I think, well, how does he become my God? Well, Jesus is the one, John 14, 6, that said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And so God has created a way that we would have access to him. And so in Christ, as we've heard the gospel, as we've responded to the gospel, We have this great promise. Come, let us worship. Let us bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. It's beautiful. So I'm going to pray, and we're going to sing our last song here. I think Don will come running in here, or Larry will lead us. Uh, Let's pray. um, Father, we thank you, Lord, for your, your mighty works, Lord, the power of your hand, the power of your voice that can just speak creation into existence, that you spoke us into existence, that you formed us long before we were in our mother's womb. Lord, it's an overwhelming thing to consider your majesty Father, we thank you that you provided a way in Christ for us to come into relationship with you. Father, we thank you that in the midst of our great sin, you still loved us. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We thank you that our relationship with you isn't based upon our works. It's based upon the work that he did. And so, Lord, we come before you, we give you thanks, we bow down, we praise you. Lord, this week we come before you with heavy hearts, not understanding uh, what's happening in our world, not understanding the outcome. But, Lord, we have hope knowing that you're in control, that we can trust you, Lord. And so, Father, we pray that as we sing this last song, Lord, that it would truly be a prayer from our hearts that we would worship you for you are a great and mighty God. And it's in Christ's good name we pray, amen.